Wealth Design Podcast. I'm your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest today is Maggie Breslin. Maggie is the director of The Patient Revolution. She spent over a decade as a designer and researcher in the healthcare space, including seven years at the Mayo Clinic Center for Innovation. She teaches in the Design for Social Innovation program at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. What is your superpower? It turns out that I'm pretty good at engaging with clinicians and with the kind of traditional people who go into healthcare and fostering different types of conversations and I think representing a different viewpoint and getting a seat at that table. Uh, and that, that has uh, served me well and I think served the projects that I've been lucky enough to be a part of well. Tell us about one of these projects that, you, that really got you engaged in this way. Well, I think the, the one that stands out to me most right now is my role as the director of the Patient Revolution. And so the Patient Revolution is an organization that uh, Victor and I and other kind of colleagues spun out a couple of years ago after about 12 or 13 years of doing a lot of work developing communication tools and other programs and kind of strategies that would help bring clinicians and patients together in conversation in different ways and recognizing that mostly our strategy for bringing those ideas into the world was to convince clinicians and clinical systems to adopt them. We recognized that we were missing a significant part of the equation if we weren't also trying to bring skills and resources and support and opportunity to patients and caregivers and communities and asking them to potentially also be the drivers of change in healthcare. And so we spun the patient revolution out in order to bring what we had learned about developing tools and programs to a different population and putting those tools into their hands um, to help sort of drive change. And that has been uh, incredibly rewarding, certainly challenging in lots of interesting ways, but has required thinking differently about language and community and how we bring people together and what the what support for kind of a patient and caregiver population can look like. So in a nutshell, what does the patient revolution do? The idea behind the patient revolution is that, you know, our mission is that we're trying to drive towards careful and kind care, to push back against the tenets of industrial health care, which I'm sure Victor mentioned to you. Our strategies for doing it are to engage especially patients and caregivers and communities as drivers of this change, both um, patients and caregivers and clinicians in their individual visits that they may have. We really, myself as executive director and the history that I have in working with the, the team that I have, we bring a very strong kind of design and making approach to that effort. So we're really trying to create tools and programs and resources that help people develop skills and offer them support and encouragement and relationships and community that can help give them the confidence that they're ultimately going to need to take steps that they haven't taken historically in the past, whether it's sharing something with their clinician that they might think, oh, doesn't belong here or might make my clinician mad or it's uh, advocating within their health system for longer visits, say, or something else that pushes back against the system, or championing 
policy uh, at the national or sort of state level that would encourage uh, fighting back against issues here in the United States that we may have with cost of prescriptions or sort of something along those lines. So it can operate at a number of different levels. And our goal is to try and figure out how we engage that population and support that population in, in taking some new steps. And how long has the patient revolution been going? We uh, spun out as our own nonprofit entity uh, a little over two years ago. And how is it going? It's a lot of work, and I think we're still definitely figuring it out um, as we go. But it's been incredibly rewarding and, I think, uh, exciting. One of the the benefits of, of working to try and convince clinicians and clinical systems is that there's just more established paths that you can try and intervene along. Um, trying to engage patients and caregivers and communities, there's less of that. So it's more about trying to develop those so that then you can help support people in taking those steps. And so we do a lot of prototyping, trying things out, seeing how it works, stepping back and figuring out what we can do next. And uh, as, as a part of that process, one of the big things that we're launching here in 2019 is um, a patient revolution school. And so the school would be for everyone, patients and caregivers, as well as clinicians, and would ask everyone to kind of come together around certain topics. The first uh, class that we're developing is shared decision-making for everyone and really tries to introduce people to a philosophy of shared decision-making that we've developed here with the care unit and, and with some of our colleagues and to understand the different steps that people feel like they can take to help advance a culture of shared decision-making and how that culture of shared decision-making may align with some of the mission of careful and kind care. Tell us about something that you've done already and, and how that's worked out. Everything that we're doing is we're in the midst of doing it. So I wouldn't say anything is quote-unquote done. But one of the things that we have really tried to build on is the work that, you know, we've kind of done over the last 15 years or so around the shared decision-making tool. And a lot of that work was designed to help support um, conversations between clinicians and patients, especially at the point of the clinical encounter around certain topics. And we've been working within Patient Revolution. One of the things we've recognized about that is that as valuable as those tools are, and we still, you know, help make them and kind of encourage them, they often can put people on the spot to make a decision about something right now. And we started to think about what could we be developing and putting out into the world that might help give people some space to start thinking and feeling and talking about a decision before they actually have to make that decision. And what, how valuable could that be as a skill-building exercise for the public uh, as a way of sort of becoming more acquainted to, with uncertainty and ambiguity and thinking through how to make decisions in the absence of certainty. And so we've been working to build out some events that happen outside the clinical space that are a little bit more either individual or kind of peer-supported. They happen maybe in people's homes or in the public library. And the, we've been building it out around two topics. The first topic that we've been doing it around is around mammography screening. And the idea is bringing people together and creating some tools where we share some information and we create a space for women to kind of talk through what they're thinking. And nobody makes a decision at this moment, but they start to become aware of 
what the evidence is that we have and what maybe are the things to consider. And they can start the process of, of saying out loud, you know, um, what are the things that they're thinking about. And then we're also currently doing that for cardiovascular risk. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity here to start to build up both spaces and tools and support and also the uh, expectation that the idea of learning how to engage with uncertainty is a critical skill set that patients ultimately need. How have the clinicians received this revolution? Pretty well. I mean, I think that some, some clinicians are more on board than others, I think, certainly. I think increasingly what we're seeing here in the United States is that clinicians, as they you start to see themselves more and more as kind of cogs in the wheel of the system of healthcare, which is being driven more and more by the demands of business. So we often hear from physicians when we talk about our clinicians, when we talk about our mission, that's exactly what I think we should be doing. That's how we should practice. But nobody here would let me do that, right? And so I think one of the things that I've realized in doing this work is that patients were really imagining that physicians were the ones who were the champions of the idea of a care and caring relationship within the systems that they operated in, and that they did serve that role for a long time and probably, you know, was within a patriarchal model, but probably served it pretty well. But increasingly, they no longer see themselves as sort of the stewards of the idea of care. And so they are often interested in engaging with us, but also don't feel like they have any of the tools to understand, you know, how they might advance these types of ideas. And so I think that that's one of the opportunities that we're exploring, especially in the school, but within patient revolution more largely is to kind of bring patients and clinicians together on a little bit more equal footing and seeing what collectively their ability to push back or try and force those systems to change and be more accommodating to the type of care that they would like to see happening. What is that bring a power that's previously been missing? That was Maggie Breslin from The Patient Revolution talking about working at the interface between clinicians and patients to find common ground on improving outcomes in healthcare. As people become more empowered to determine what's right for them, we may be witnessing the beginning of a new paradigm in healthcare. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design.